Welcome, adventurers. Will Mela and her companions finally find some information on the mysterious green scarab? Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon They stayed off the road, and Mela's apprehension grew. Unlike times past, neither Colborn nor Sarkeesian offered her any reassurances. They were headed to the Mummer's Fair, apparently a lawless camp or town where thieves and criminals congregated, where stolen goods could be bought or sold, where money ruled over morality. Mela had held Colborn back with her as they set out the next morning to get all the information she could. But that was about all he had said on the subject. He had never been, nor had anyone in the group. Not a place that good folk go, had been the last Colborn had said on the topic, swallowing as if to get a bad taste out of his mouth. Mela could tell he was nervous about their destination that everyone in the group was, except for Ketri, who seemed to buzz with a determined excitement, and that scared her most of all. After Rianok had brought up the Mummer's Fair the night before, and the awkward silence had passed, the question of why was posed. Rianok pointed out that if there was any place in the province that would have information on a secret criminal... It was the Mummer's Fair. Rianok said she wouldn't be surprised if the green scarab operated out of the place, and that if they didn't, all the better. That would most likely mean they had crossed someone who did reside there, making it even more likely persons looking for information on how to take down this shadow would be accommodated. Mela had seen on Colborn's face that he was struggling to find any reason to argue against this course of action, and that he was even more irritated that he could not. Sarkeesian's face had taken on the pallor of someone who was going to be sick, but it was clear that she too realized that what Rianok said was most likely true, and despite her disdain for the place, it represented a chance at the shortest route their objective. The silence that followed was somber, but after a bar of nothing but crackling fire and meaningful looks, Colborn spoke reluctantly. She's right. Sarkeesian nodded. I know. I don't like it, but I know. There wasn't really a vote or even an official agreement. Instead, they had all stood one by one, and got to bed. Colborn placed a hand on Mela's shoulder and squeezed it before he went off. Mela stayed up until it was just her and Rianok by the fire, hoping there would be some more conversation or explanation. But the halfling stared into the fire for a few bars and then stood 
without so much as a glance her way, and headed to bed. Though it was Colfin that held the point on their daily travels, scouting out safe and expedient trails, it was Rianoc that guided them. To begin with, South, just pick a safe route south, was all the enigmatic little cleric had said. Colfin led them through the Gimlin woods, picking a bearing that ran parallel to the Fen Fergal to begin with, staying a mile or so back from the river to avoid notice. Though it seemed their pace should have been slowed traveling through the dense forest, Colfin picked out game paths and old creek beds, and somehow by the end of the day they had always managed to cover the same amount of ground as if they had been on the open road. Five days' travel carried them south to a point almost in line with where the city of Cam 4 lie on the Fen Fergal. It was at this point that Rianoc's vague call to head south changed. After breakfast, on the morning of the sixth day, with the party packed up and Colfin turning to start south again, the young red-haired woman called for the ranger to wait. They all stood, expectant of further explanation. But there was none, at least not to begin with. Instead, Rianoc began to pace circles around their small campsite. The circles were small at first, not much wider than the campfire ring, but they expanded with each circuit. During the first few passes, it was quite clear that Rianoc was listening to whatever it was she listened to in her head. But then her eyes became more focused, and it appeared as if she switched from listening to... To smelling? Colfin stared critically at the halfling, eyes squinted, frown apparent on his face. Mela cast a questioning glance at Colborn, who looked as if he was thinking hard to come up with something to say, but then, after ten beats or so, pursed his lips and shrugged his shoulders. A sparkle of amusement reflected in his eyes. Rianoc was now past each of them, her circles now at least seven paces out from the fire. Mela saw Sarkeesian's posture shift. Their tall leader was about to ask for an update on... on whatever this was. Her mouth opened, and at the very same moment, Rianoc stopped. Dark blue eyes turned back to them, little pale hand pointing out from under the cloak. This way, she indicated. Colfin's frown deepened. He turned his head to look at Sarkeesian. It was clear the tracker in him disapproved of this nonspecific method of navigation and was looking for Sarkeesian to say so as well. Sarkeesian stood silent, holding Rianoc's gaze. One side of the halfling's face drew up, not quite a smile, not quite a smirk, before she gave a nearly imperceptible nod. With that little dip of the head, Sarkeesian's brow rose, and then she looked around to the rest where they stood, finally looking to Colfin. You heard her, the tall woman said, extending her finger to point in the same direction. That way. Colfin's frown deepened into a downright scowl. He mumbled something under his breath as he turned, stomping his way past Rianoc, southwest into the woods. Their travels slowed for a while. 
not because Colfin's efficiency waned in any way, but instead because they had to stop every two bells or so for Rianok to sniff out their trail. Two days they continued at the slowed pace, and then a third where Rianok seemed much more sure. Upon making camp that night, the halflings said they would reach their destination tomorrow. This was met with resigned silence. Upon waking the next morning, Mela was surprised to find Sarkeesian had risen before any, even Colfin, and made a simple breakfast. They would not be heading directly into the fair today. Not without a plan. A bell or so of discussion, and the little they knew about the place had yielded the following. Rianok and Colfin would go in first. They were to look for good places to begin circulating questions, searching for where to find brokers of information. Mela and Ketri were to follow two bells later. They would be acting as forerunners, scouts for their master, to find a place to stay. Their job was to start making some noise so that the many eyes and ears a place such as the Mummer's Fair was likely to have would start whispering of their arrival. Sarkeesian, who would be posing as their master, was to play the part of Uzbekan Rin, a wealthy merchant just recently arrived in Jamato from the Dwin Po Ma province, and would wait until the following day to arrive with Colborn. Colborn would give no name at all, and make it quite clear via demonstration that he was capable of magics. Their very limited story would be that the green scarab had interfered with her business dealings, and she was not the type to let such insults stand. They had all done their best to make some alterations to their usual appearance. Both Colborn and Colfin unbraided their beards, Colfin brushing his out into a wild explosion of hair. Colborn, with Sarkeesian's help, rebraided his into two loops that came back over his shoulders and up into the hair behind his ears. He burned charcoal and smeared it thick around his eyes, creating a dark mask that bled down over his cheeks. Mela hated it. Rianok found a specific root with Colfin's help and colored her hair, leaving it a purplish black. Mela hated that even more. There wasn't much to be done for Ketri. She simply took off her eye patch, leaving the puckered scar there exposed. Sarkeesian put on her finest clothes and braided her hair into a coil that implied a coronet. Mela took out her neat braids and they ratted up her hair, putting some bones and feathers in it. They smeared dirt on her face and told her to look irritated when she was addressed. She hated this most of all. Her messy hair and dirty face reminded her of a time not so long ago, a time when she lived on the streets, when she was alone. Mela and Ketri arrived in the gloaming bell. Sol already passed west beyond the bristlebacks. She wasn't sure what she was expecting, but this was not it. A tired farm day market is what she thought at first. If the farm day market had been rained on, 
been blasted by soul, then rained on again. Moldy tents of many faded colors held together with patches and thread lined the dirt roads that wound in crooked paths between. Some of them had flaps that extended out, covering whatever goods or wares the owner was peddling. As dusk deepened, many were coming out to light torches or lanterns on poles. It was busier than Mela would have expected, as busy as a farm day market, despite the time of day and disgusting setting. They drew some looks as they entered, but none lingered. Believing Ketri belonged in such a place was not difficult at all. And if Ketri belonged, then the short, wild-haired human with her must be legitimate as well. Finding lodging was their first order of business, and out here amongst the tents seemed unlikely, and inappropriate for a pretentious merchant. Pushing their way further in amongst the mishmash, they started to come upon more wood structures. Mela was having a hard time thinking of them as buildings, most being ramshackle collections of mismatched wood, nails, and rope. These amalgamations were also more shops, with the occasional drinking establishment sprinkled in. The further in they went, the closer to the foot of the mountain they came. It was then that Mela had looked up, catching a glimpse of what was on the foot of the mountain. She didn't even place it at first. There were windows that shone with lantern light, walls, square and neat. It was a home. In contrast to the mess that was the Mummer's Fair, the sprawling hunting lodge that sat in the rocks above the town was built of the finest quality and craft. Who lived there? she wondered. Did Mummer's Fair have a mayor? She felt a punch in her shoulder. Mela turned to see Ketri frowning at her. You're staring like a slack-jawed simpleton. Mela frowned. At last, they had made it to a group of buildings. Nothing special, but they did have identifiable walls and roofs. It was here that they found the grift, pretty much the closest thing to a respectable inn to be had in the Mummer's Fair. They had inquired after rooms. Mela had to step on her own foot to keep an irritated look on her face when she found out rooms were four gold pieces a night, paid in advance. She could see why the place was called the Grift. Ketri paid for three rooms. If they were pretending to be the lackeys of a wealthy merchant, squabbling over room prices wasn't really an option. They met up later with Rianach and Colfin, who after a half-day's lingering in the fair had a few ideas of where they might start the following day. Sarkeesian, or Uzbekan, she guessed, arrived two bells after soul rise the next day. They spread out and began to make it known. The green scarab had crossed the wealthy merchant Uzbekan Rin, and she didn't mean to stand for it. Information didn't come immediately, and it didn't come easily. Even doing their best to pose as dangerous and disreputable as possible, even making it known they were offering a thousand gold for information regarding the nature or whereabouts of the green scarab yielded no results the first day, nor did it seem it would on the second. 
However, before they lay down to bed on that night, a knock came on their door. It was Sarkeesian, and she called them into her room. When they were all gathered, the door was shut and the curtains drawn. She produced a folded piece of parchment. She handed it around for them to read without saying a word. Have information regarding the green scarab. Price is two thousand gold. Meet one mile north of town in the cave across from the burnt stump. Tomorrow at Solset. It was unsigned. They each took a turn reading it. Sarkeesian didn't ask out loud, but looked with a raised eyebrow. First, at Colborne. Where did you get it? he inquired. It was under my pillow, she replied. That gave Mela the chills. Colborne cleared his throat, looking uncomfortable, finally saying, I would have preferred we saw someone's face. But it is what we are here for. Colfin grunted. Ketri nodded. Rianach wrung her hands and then tilted her head in what could have been a nod of acceptance. Mela just shrugged. It didn't feel safe at all. Not that she had felt safe since she laid eyes on this pile of debris. Sarkeesian nodded. We go then. But I want eyes on turrets, ears perked. Any sign of danger, and we pull out. Mela barely slept that night. Despite the price, the bed was uncomfortable. The streets outside the windows always, always hosted people walking and talking, no matter the time of the day. And she was scared. Knowing what you were about to fight had a certain rhythm to it, a certain peace. But this? This poking around in dark shadows, in murky water, waiting to see what might lurk there? was awful. She woke late the next morning. The day was gray and overcast. The grift didn't serve food, and they had taken to eating at various tents, carts, and taverns here in the fair, as much to see if there was any good food to be had. So far the answer was no, as to keep their ears to the ground to see if they might hear anything. She checked in, telling her friends she was going out to find something to eat. As was their way the past few days, no one went anywhere alone. Rianak accompanied her. Mela had tried to stomach some unknown meat on skewers. It was tough and flavorless. She gave up before she had managed to consume half of what was there. Finishing her weak cup of tea, she indicated she was ready to go back to the inn. Colfin and Ketri were supposed to head out soon to scout the location of the meeting before dark. Sarkeesian was trying to minimize any surprises. When they were two streets down from the grift, Mela got the impression someone was watching her. She looked over her shoulder to catch a hooded figure turn its eyes quickly away. Mela did her best to make it look like she had not noticed. She touched a copper ring on her left hand and then began to mutter under her breath, fingers tracing an intricate pattern before her. She focused on the hooded figure. The feeling of alarm came to her at first, the concern at being discovered. But under that, 
There was a feeling of alertness. Predator stalking prey. Rianok looked at her, recognizing the hand gestures. What is it? Mela focused further, driving her attention down below the surface thoughts. It was cloudy at first, muddled, but then she broke through. Below the concern, below the alertness, was a single purpose, calm and determined. The hooded figure, Parsov was their name, had one thing and only one thing on their mind, the death of her and her companions. She felt Parsov's awareness stiffen, become aware that something was wrong, that someone had seen into their thoughts. Mela's face tingled as she was shunted from Parsov's mind. Rianok's hand grabbed her arm. Mila? We have to get to the others. We have to leave. They are coming for us. It seems the search of Mela and her friends has again put them in harm's way. Will they escape the Mummer's Fair unharmed? Stay tuned next week for part three of The Undying Emerald. Hey there, good listeners. Uh, just a heads up, this will be the last story of the season. Uh, not sure how many episodes, as I am currently writing week to week. Uh, I'm going to guess another two minimum, but I'm not. don't hold me to it. So this is the last story. Uh, when it wraps up, we will be hitting the end of season five. Uh, thank you so much for all your support, for all your listens. And I really wish the best for you and yours, and that you're having a wonderful, wonderful week.